Following Jesus is a journey of growth and transformation to be more like Him in every area of our lives. And like a plant in good soil, we have to intentionally place ourselves in environments and relationships that enable us to grow. At Grace Fellowship, growth begins with our own personal and family disciplines of prayer and Bible reading. Together, everyone at Grace should participate in corporate worship on Sundays, to be saturated in God's Word through preaching, and to worship God through song. Everyone at Grace should also be active in a group. Growth happens best when we share our lives with each other in a community group, or a care group when a specific trial in life calls for one. And sometimes we need intensive help overcoming sin or a struggle we're facing. In these seasons, one-on-one biblical counseling at Grace may be the most important step you can take to grow. We offer many other supplemental training and leadership opportunities, but these are the core growth environments we encourage everyone at Grace to take part in so that we may grow together in grace to be more like Christ. Good morning, and turn in your copy of the Scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Philippians, if you would, please. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 13. And if you're physically able, would you please stand in honor of the word of our God. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1, this is what the word of God says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So goodbye, Jonah. Right? We're done with Jonah. Finish that series. And we are going to get back into our sermon series through the book of Luke, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But before that, we're going to take some time to look at some important foundational building blocks as to who we are at Grace Fellowship Church. And here's why. 
Uh, All of our campuses, by God's grace, are welcoming guests each and every week. It's really a very exciting thing for us as a church family. And so if you're one of those guests, whether this is your first day uh, or among your very first days, we're glad you're with us and think this will be especially helpful for you. But even for those of us who have been here for quite some time, it's helpful to be reacquainted, to be realigned, recalibrated, reminded of who we are, what we do, and why we do it. So whether you're a visitor or a veteran, we're glad you're here and think this will be helpful for all of us. The title of the sermon is Here We Grow, and there is a threefold meaning for it. First, it's obviously a dad joke, right? Obviously kind of a corny, here we grow, like so there's your dad joke for the day, you're welcome. Second, every spring, uh, the Fort Thomas florist and greenhouse puts the words, here we grow, on the sign outside of their store. And for those of us who either live or work in Fort Thomas, it's one of those little things that we kind of bank on, one of life's little rhythms that makes you feel a certain way at a certain time of year. And so the title of the sermon is, in part, a nod to the church family at Fort Thomas, I love you more. Finally, it's also a declaration. It's a declaration. Maybe if we wrote it out a bit differently, you could see a little better what I'm talking about. Perhaps if it said, here, comma, we grow. It would better depict the point I'm trying to make, and that is this. At Grace Fellowship Church, we grow. Here, we grow. It's something that we care a lot about at Grace Fellowship Church. It's not just something that we think should happen to a few of the Green Beret Christians. It's not just something we think that just happens to brand new Christians who are on fire for the Lord and are just like a sponge soaking something up. But we firmly believe that every believer, no matter where they are in their walk with Christ, should be changing and growing. And that's our goal at Grace Fellowship Church. That's the goal behind the video to quickly depict, hey, here how, here's how we grow. There's lots of different ways to grow. There's lots of different things that different churches do. And we're not poo-pooing any of the things that we don't do. But here's what we do at Grace Fellowship Church and how we think it would be best for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But today we're going to talk about the importance of transformational growth in the life of a believer. And like I said, the video you just saw can actually be found on our website. You can watch it anytime, graceky.org slash grow. It's a webpage dedicated to the best steps we believe you can take to grow and to change. But to start, I think it's important that we look at the importance of transformation in the life of a believer, because I don't want to just send you to a website and just say, let's just talk about how, let's talk about how, because that assumes that you even want to grow. Right? I don't want to presume, like we said uh, several weeks ago when I preached a message, where there's a will, finish the sentence, where there's a will, there's a way. I don't want to presume there's a will. Right? I don't want to assume that there's a will. And so I think the will, the want, is driven by a solid foundation in why. Where there's a why, there's a will. Where there's a will, there's a way. And so I want to talk about why it's important in the life of a believer for transformational growth to be happening. And for that, uh, I'd like you to turn to, uh, you can keep your place in Philippians, we will come back to that, but take a flip over or scroll to Romans chapter 12. Uh, We mentioned this in passing last week as we closed out our sermon series in the book of Romans. Uh, I just mentioned this to make a very brief and passing point. I want to unpack it a little more. Uh, Romans 12 is a hinge point in the book of Romans. So the first 11 chapters, solid foundation in why. Right? Solid foundation in doctrine. Solid foundation in key biblical truths before Paul really gives any imperatives. You don't find a ton of imperatives, a ton of things to do in Romans 1 through 11. There's some, 
but they really ramp up in, verse, in chapter 12. And that's why he says in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore, in light of what I've been saying, right? Therefore, in light of where I've just finished, in light of the fact that we know that God has uh, judgments that are unsearchable and ways that are unscrutable. That's how Romans 11 finishes. He says, in light of this, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the, up oh, there it is again, say it out loud, by the what? By the mercies of God. There's that motivation, right? Mercy motivates. God constantly calls mercy to our attention to motivate us to godly living. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Right there, that idea of living sacrificially, combining life and, quite frankly, death, reminds us that the, the, the Christian life is going to be one that's going to require a great expenditure of effort on our parts. Uh, we are living sacrifices if we're going to do what the Lord wants us to do. We dedicate our lives to living in different ways sacrificially, but not sacrificially unto the point of death necessarily because we're not dying sacrifices. We're what? Living sacrifices. And so day after day, we seek to die to self. Day after day, we seek to live according to the word of God and for his glory. Present your body as a living sacrifice, verse 1, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, here we go, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed. Now, if you look at verse 2, the word conformed in the Greek is uh, suskematizu. That's the correct mispronunciation of the word in the Greek. Suskematizu. Now, if you were to write that out in English, suskematizu, you would see a word, S-C-H-E-M, it's where we get our English word, scheme. Scheme. It's where we get our English word, scheme. And if you think of that word, scheme, that's, scheme is rarely used in a positive way, right? Nobody says, like, I'm scheming about where to go to lunch. It's like, that sounds weird. Just say you're thinking about it. Why would you say, wow, I'm scheming about how to love you more? It's like, can you just think about it, pray about it? Uh, not scheme. There's a negative connotation. It usually involves something duplicit, something uh, concealed, maybe something that's not, not, not so great. And so what the Bible is saying here, what Paul is saying is don't let the outside misrepresent what's on the inside. Uh, don't live a life that is not indicative about what God has done on the inside. Don't be changed from the outside in. And so my outward life should reflect the change that God has done on the inside of me it should not look any different. Don't put milk in a beer can, right? I mean, you can. Like, this, like, I guess it'll work if you clean out the can well enough. But it's just, like, so weird if I saw your kids sitting at the breakfast table, like, with a PBR, like, over their cereal. That's just not cool, man. Don't do it. Like, you can do that, but please don't do that. Let the outside reflect accurately, tell accurately what's going on on the inside, and so verse 1 says, do not be conformed. Don't have a scheme in your life where like it's kind of duplicit, where your outward life does not reflect the inward reality of what God has done within you, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't let the world change you from the outside in, but change from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. And that word, we said it last week, that word transform, the Greek word is metamorpho. When I say metamorpho, you think of the English word metamorphosis. When you think of metamorphosis, you go back to grade school and you think about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, not a caterpillar becoming a stronger caterpillar, not a small fuzzy caterpillar becoming a big fuzzy caterpillar. We're talking complete change. We're talking a small, little, insignificant, fuzzy insect going into a cocoon and coming out 
a larger, more ornate insect with wings. Like the thing can fly now. Right? What if you went somewhere and came out being able to fly? That's a pretty big transformation. And so that's what happens to a caterpillar. That's a metamorphosis. That's the type of transformation that the Word of God calls us to. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Point number one, transformation isn't a special one-time thing. After I wrote that, I thought, ah, it's too late. I wish I didn't. It is special. It's just not a one-time thing. Transformation isn't a one-time thing. It's normative in the life of any genuine Christian. Let's start right at the beginning. We're transformed from death to life when we're saved. That's called positional sanctification. We have changed positions. We're now on the team. So once we're saved, we are forever separated from the lost and the dying and the hell-bound world because our sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ and we're putting all of our eggs in that basket. That's biblical faith. F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. I'm putting all my trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I'm on the team. That's what that is, positional sanctification. My position has changed. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not like he's kind of different. She's a little different than she used to be. The old has passed away. The new has come. Now, the transformation that happens when you first become a Christian usually feels pretty radical in some way, shape, or form. Now, I know people can respond differently. That's largely due to temperament and how the Lord wired you. If you're not a very emotional person, you're probably not falling to the ground thanking the Lord. You're probably not cheering. If you don't typically cheer at a sports game, it would be really odd to see you kind of jump up and down and cheer for something else. That just may not be how you roll. But it's typically a pretty radical change that takes place in our life. Even if it's not a big emotional time, uh, it's something that you could say, I, I, I'm different. I'm alive. I love Jesus. I love things I didn't love before. I hate things that I loved before. I love things that I hated before. Like, there's a change taking place in my life. I remember sitting across from a young man at one point, just having lunch, literally just eating a hamburger, and he's talking about how he really wants to be saved and starts listening to different things that are going on in his life. And I'm literally like, I'm not even looking at him. I'm eating my hamburger. My mouth's half full. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, you say you hate sin. You say you love the Lord. You say you love reading your Bible and you love praying and you're looking at life differently. I said, I don't know. I said, I, I think you're a Christian. Like, I don't know what you're like. If you think you have to sign something, if you think you have to like say the magic words, like everything you're saying right now sounds like, Christian, you sound, you, you look different, you're acting different, you got life in you, not just like pep in your step, but there's, you have hope. And I'm just, and he goes, oh my, oh my goodness, I'm saved. I'm, sa- I am a believer. It's not something that's yet to happen. He's reflecting on like, he's never connected the dots between those things. And I'm like, I don't know, bro, like when I hear all these things, that's not normal, like you know, human living. This isn't like self-improvement. These things come as a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he just came. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm a, I'm a Christian. That was a radical moment realizing that God had saved him. He doesn't know when God saved him. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm living a new life. And it's pretty radical. It's kind of like when a baby's born. It's a pretty radical event. It's pretty memorable. It's pretty messy. It's pretty awesome. It's usually filled with joy and celebration as we welcome into the world a person that is essentially almost 10 months old, but we've only just met. 
right? Mom has been so close to this child for almost 10 months, but is seeing her for the first time or meeting him for the first time. It's a radical, monumental experience and moment. Salvation is similar. That's, it's new life. It's why Jesus says what he does in, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the word picture Jesus chooses to use to depict new life. It's, it's like a birth. It's a rebirth. So that's positional sanctification. Now at the other end of the spectrum, in heaven, we'll no longer struggle to sin less because we'll finally be sinless. That's called ultimate sanctification or entire sanctification. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 30 says, In those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's interesting how Paul words that all in the past tense because some of it is yet to happen. Right? So anyone who's a Christian has been predestined, has been called, has been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, but the glorification is yet to happen. Yet Paul doesn't say, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, one day he'll glorify. He would be right to say that, but he's like, no, it's as good as done. Like, he glor- I can put this, in- it's as good as done. He's gl- you're already bound for glory, bound to be glorified at one point in time. This is as good as done. What God starts, he finishes. That's entire sanctification or ultimate sanctification. Philippians 3, verse 20, our change of citizenship, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it await, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will what? Transform, there it is, our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's a complete transformation. Caterpillar, butterfly. So we change teams once we're saved, right? No longer citizens of the world, but of heaven. No longer children of darkness, but children of light. And we stop sinning once we enter eternity. But what about the lifetime between having been saved and being in heaven? The thief on the cross was saved. He, he, he literally had minutes, maybe an hour, of living an earthly life as a Christian. But the vast majority of us, that's not the case. In fact, that's, that's rather rare. Most of us, no matter when you're saved in life, you have some time to live out this new life that God has given you. What about the time in between? Like, I know birthdays are important. I know funerals are important. But do we only care about birth announcements and obituaries? Do we not focus on anything else in between? Of course not. There's a lot in between there that really matters quite a bit. I just took some of our kids to have their annual physical, which I just want to say from the outset, it's just not as fun as their birth. Not as exciting. Nobody, like doctor doesn't come in and go, it's a boy. We're like, we know he's 14, bro. We've known this for a while. That's weird. Don't do that. Like we, we, we like they're, they're, 8, 11, 14, and 17. So, like, if we don't know that by now, we're in a lot of trouble. It's not as celebratory, but we're still looking for transformation, right? Like, Jonathan grew four inches since his last physical. That's good. That's growth. We're not going to celebrate it with balloons. Sorry, bro. Like, I would say this, though. If he hadn't grown... At all. Since his last physical, we'd be concerned. In fact, we'd be more concerned about him not growing than we are happy that he is growing. Right? Because growth is expected. Like, it's expected. Growth is the norm. We're grateful. We're just not high fives all around grateful. Like, it's just the, the norm. He's, he's growing. We're great. Zero growth would bring about a significant level of concern among all of those who care about him. 
And people grow at different rates, right? My oldest son, Justin, started high school looking like he was just about ready to start middle school. He's always, I feel, I look like I'm 10. I look like, and he's emotional. That's an exaggeration. He could have easily passed for 11. (laughs) But throughout his junior year, he hit a growth spurt. He grew a lot. That doesn't change the fact that some of the freshmen had five o'clock shadows, right? Like people grow and change at different rates. They mature at different rates. That's fine. But if there was no growth, the doctor visits would increase. What about you? Is that the case for you? Has there been growth or is there no growth? You've been walking the Lord for quite some time but still trying to ride the high of the birth announcement. The balloons have kind of, they're down here. You know how balloons do that? They kind of float like in the living room. You don't all throw them out sooner than we do. They, they, you've, it takes like a week, right? They just kind of float, kind of like reinflating them, throwing them up, trying to celebrate. It's a boy. It's a Christian. I'm not saying that's not a joyful thing. I'm just saying that was not intended to carry you through the rest of your life. Any more than my 17-year-old son would be like, what makes you happiest when you see him? Just the fact that he was born 17 years ago. That's not normal. That was great, but that was then. There's been growth. Growth and transformation isn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, normative part of the Christian life. And I'm talking about real, genuine, honest, palpable change taking place in your life over your walk with the Lord. That doesn't cause someone to scream. It's a boy. It doesn't cause, it's a girl. It doesn't cause someone to scream. She's a Christian. He's a Christian. It's not that, but... It's not like when you were first reborn, but would cause you to know God is at work in me. God is at work in me. There's some, I am different. I am not perfect, but I am not the same. Would cause those around you to see God is, God's at work in that woman. That man is changing as he walks with the Lord. There's something different about him. She's a different person. It's not just her. It's, it's God. Something's happening there. Well, here's the facts. Real spiritual growth happens when you cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's the truth. Real spiritual growth happens when you cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's why we see things like we do in the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so... There you see a combination, right? If we live by the Spirit, who gave us spiritual life? I kind of got that myself and worked hard for it. No, uh, wrong. Spiritual life came to us by the sovereign grace of God. We had nothing to do with it. If you live by the Spirit, we're then told to keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step is something that I'm told to do. The life comes to me from God. That's on Him. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Keep, listen to, listen, try to... Keep in step with the pace he's setting. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You can be in step with the Spirit. You can be out of step with the Spirit. And so there's a definition in your outline from a book called Possessed by God. It says this sanctification is being set apart for a relationship with the Holy One, right? That's the positional, that's the ultimate. You're, you're on the team. Set apart for a relationship with the Holy One to display his character in every sphere of life. 
And that's what we call progressive sanctification. Not the positional, the beginning. Not the end, the ultimate. But the process in between. We call that progressive sanctification. And guess what? You can't do it. You can't do it. You're responsible to do something you lack the ability to do. You say, that's kind of frustrating. It's like, hey, man, I didn't write the mail. I just deliver it. You don't have the ability to be the godly Christian that God has called you to be. You don't. You say, am I responsible to do it? 100%. Do you have the ability to do it? Absolutely not. It would be frustrating if Philippians 2, go back there if you haven't gotten there, Philippians 2, 12 was not followed by verse 13. Let me see if I can, if I can show you that. It's in the text that we read earlier today, Philippians 2. If you look at verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so remember, Philippians is not a corrective epistle. Like, you read 1 Corinthians, and Paul's like, get a pen. you got a lot of stuff jacked up. So stop this, do this, don't do that. Why do you do that? That's really bizarre stuff. That. That's not what this book, this is like, Philippians is like, you're doing great. Keep on keeping on. Just in a letter of encouragement. Wow, you are doing so well. You're walking with the Lord. You're striving after him. Keep it up. So he says that in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have what? Always obeyed. Like, you're great. As you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Because Paul's like, there'll be a lot more days without me than there are with me, right? Because I'm going to leave. I don't live in Philippi. One day I'm going to die. I don't live on earth. So I want you to have this obedience happening, not just because I'm there, but actually much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out this Christian thing. Work it out. Uh, And do it carefully with fear and trembling. That's not work to become a Christian. He's already writing to Christians in the church at Philippi. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Care about this. Like this matters a lot. If it ended right there, super discouraging. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Peace. And that's it. That's very discouraging. But it goes on in verse 13 to say something else. For it is who? It is God. A little louder. For it is who? God who does what? Who works... In you, both to will, that's the desire, and to work, that's to do, for his good pleasure. Friends, I don't know if there's another place in the New Testament at all that so accurately depicts this cooperation with the Holy Spirit and progressive sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But I can't do that. It's okay, keep reading. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so verse 13 by itself was like, great, it's first 13. Okay, it's God's going to do it. All right, so I'll just sit back, just kind of chill, ride the salvation thing into the sunset. He'll do it all. That's not true because there's verse 12. Verse 12 by itself is like, oh my gosh, I got a lot to do and I don't even have the ability to do it. Combining them means there's something I need to do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit because he's going to work within me. Here's the question. Like, what can you do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? What does that even mean? It's like, I'll scratch his back if he scratch. Does he have a back? Does he itch? I don't even know what this means. Well, how, do you, how do you cooperate with the Holy Spirit? And that's what I want to talk about today. You can consistently 
come before the Lord on your own to read his word and talk to him in prayer. One way to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, consistently coming before the Lord on your own to read his word and talk to him in prayer. I put Psalm 63, 1 through 4 in your outline. Let's look at that. Oh God, you are my God, the psalmist says. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. In the sanctuary, right? Big church in the temple. That's the corporate gathering. He's seen God's power at work when worshiping corporately. Verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Verse 4. So I can't wait to get back into that sanctuary because that's the only time I meet with you. It's just not what it says. Verse 4 says, in light of what I've experienced there, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. He doesn't say, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So I can't wait to get back into that sanctuary again because there's 168 hours in a week, but I really only experience 75 minutes with you on a weekly basis. No, the psalmist says, because of what I've seen you do in the sanctuary, I will commune with you, come to you, be near you, talk to you, hear from you as often as I can. And so we cooperate with the Holy Spirit by consistently coming to him on our own throughout our day, speaking to him, hearing from him. You have to understand this. Please get this. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. There's no such thing as a Christian without it. You can't be a Christian, understand the gospel, understand the word of God, understand your need for salvation. You can't understand jack squat without the Holy Spirit at work in your life. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just like in you and then out of you and in you and then out of you. He's in believers. He makes his abode, his eternal dwelling place within us. The Holy Spirit's not in this room. If he's in this room, it's because you brought him, bro. He's in people. He's in souls. He's in the redeemed. He's not in a chair. He's not in your car. He's in you as a believer. He's made his final, permanent, personal home inside you. It's really weird to live with someone 24-7 and not talk. Usually means something's up. There's a rift in the relationship. Like in my marriage. And so recently, uh, Sarah and I, we had a little bit of a tiff. We couldn't really resolve it the night before. We didn't go to bed angry. We affirmed our love for one another. We're at peace, but it's not reconciled. And so we go to bed, slept well, woke up. And you know what that's like. It's just off. We're just off. And I, we had a, uh, I drove her to a, a doctor's appointment. And what was that, what was that drive like, right? Super, it's like... We're both awkwardly quiet, commenting on random things to try to make conversation. Wow, look, there's a car on the road, <laughs> driving in and everything, like signals and all. Look at that guy. Who would change things like that? Then you start to like, we can come, let's come together by making fun of that guy. He won't know. We'll agree on something. We're, we're fine. We're good. We agree on things. That guy's an idiot, isn't he an idiot? Yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> we're good. What? Just weird. Here's two people who live together, share a life, share a bed, like we're married almost 20 years. And it's, it's odd to be in a vehicle together. It's odd to live life together and not talk. That's not normal. Usually means something up. 
When it comes to Sarah and me, two sinners, something could be up between either of us. When it comes to you and the Holy Spirit, who do you think is like probably at fault? Right? Like, it's not normal to have a lifetime of being together with someone like the Holy Spirit and not talk. That's not the norm. So if you're a Christian, don't awkwardly drive like that. That's just not cool. Don't awkwardly live your life with the Holy Spirit like that or work or operate in life not talking to the Holy Spirit who has made his abode, his home with you, not hearing from him who has laid out everything you need to know for life and godliness right here. And there's no one right way to do that. But you've got to consistently meet with him. It'll vary in different seasons of life. I was talking to someone at the gym this past week who was retired, and he told me he spent three hours with the Lord that morning. That's awesome. I, I did not. I did not spend three hours with the Lord that morning. I'm not retired. I'm, I've got things to do. I'm in, a, I'm in a different season of life. I spent time with the Lord. I didn't spend three hours with the Lord. I had to be mad at Sarah. We have stuff to do. No, but... It's not going to look the same as it does for every single person. We're not talking about quantity. We're talking about consistency. Work out your own, work out your own salvation. Yours is going to look like his. He's not going to look like hers. hers like, work it out, bro. Work out your own salvation. Figure out what it's going to be. How can I consistently meet with God? And so on that webpage, we have a, a whole list of Bible reading plans. Some of them are super aggressive. Some of them are really relaxed. Try one. If you like it, keep it. If you don't like it, pitch it. Try something else. This isn't about like, you read the Bible in a year last year? Can, let's see if you can read in 11 months this year. <laughs> you don't get an award. Not in this life. It's about consistently meeting with God. Consistently hearing from God. Because he lives in you and it's really weird not to. It's how we grow. You can place yourself in, envi- in environments where spiritual growth is most likely to occur. I don't know much about plants. I, I really don't. Uh, I could prove that because I plowed through some of Sarah's lupines with my weed eater recently. You're like, that argument was so your fault. I'm sure it was his fault. They were new. They were near some weeds. They kind of look like weeds when they're not fully grown. And I just plowed right through them with my weed eater. Don't know a lot about plants. Sarah, usually... When I'm doing yard work, it's just a thing. Like, Sarah will usually come out, see what I'm doing, and she, like, nine times out of ten, she goes, like, wow, it looks really good. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Like, it's just a simple passing thing. So she came out this time, and, and I was like, oh, she's probably going to, like, it's just our thing. Like, she's going to say, it looks good, and I'm going to say thanks. And she came out this time, and, like, you should have seen my face. I got sunglasses on. I'm like, like, something was so different. Like, this, the, she had different face on, not about to compliment me. She's like, you ripped up my lupines. And I'm like, oh, what's a lupine? <laughs> I still don't super know what a lupine is. I just avoid that area. <laughs> don't we eat that area? Uh, in our house, we have a fiddly fig. Uh, she has a name, Sister Evangeline from Call the Midwife. Maybe you know. It's not a big deal. 
Apparently, they need a decent amount of sunlight, and apparently, they also don't like to be moved. Have you heard this? They need a decent amount of sunlight, and they don't like to be moved. I don't know if that's true or not, but we live as if it is. She gets moved for the month of December because she happens to be where we like to put our Christmas trees. So she gets moved to the other side of the living room for the month of December. Uh, But for the most part, we like to leave her where we think she'll thrive. I'm a little concerned hearing me refer to her as a member of the family. Like, it's not something I'm used to hearing. Just hearing my words bounce off the wall. It's like, that's probably not awesome. Anyway, apart, probably like your house, apart from closets and our attic, we don't have like many completely lightless rooms, like rooms with zero light in our house. I mean, even our basement gets some sunlight, but she doesn't live there. She lives in the living room in a certain corner where growth is most likely to occur because there's more light there than there is in the basement. So we cooperate with how we think God has designed her to grow and to flourish, and she does. We're not like, hey, whatever, there's light in the basement. You can grow there. What? You can grow there. Can't you grow there? Is there sunlight in the basement? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or, okay then, fine. Then you'll grow there. Why would we do that? That just makes no sense. We'll put her where we think she'll survive and grow and thrive and the most. So similarly, you need to place yourself in environments where spiritual growth is most likely to occur. Can I grow in any environment? God can do anything, right? And I look back and you go, yeah, yeah, you can. I guess so. You bring the Holy Spirit with you wherever you go. He can certainly do what he wants, when he wants, and wherever he wants. But he's given us his word. And if his word says you'll do better with a decent amount of water and sunlight, it's kind of foolish to live in the spiritual basement. What? There's, there's light in here. Can't God lay on my heart what he wants me to know? He, true. Yes, he can. Checkmate. Can he? Yes, he can. He can do all things. I get it. Can he just tell me that while I drive? Sure can. Probably won't. Sure can. Why not do what his word says is best for you? Why not keep, keep in step with the Holy Spirit as you walk with him? It's important to place yourself in environments where spiritual growth is most likely to occur. Gathering together in corporate worship like this saturates us in Bible teaching But quite frankly, no offense, you can find Bible teaching online, you can read books, you have more access to Bible, more Bible teaching than any other generation of Christians ever, between books and podcasts and videos and stuff you can watch online. It's important, but I think it's, what's more important is it reminds us we're part of a larger body. Uh, Romans 12 verses 4 and following, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Corporate worship is a necessary part of the Christian life because of what we're reminded of here in these two verses. We are reminded that we're not in this life alone. We're reminded that we're one body with many members. We're not in this life alone. We're not in this struggle alone. We're not on mission alone. Uh, We're part of a body. We're a part of a body. And even though we're just a thumb, and in and of itself a thumb by itself, isn't terribly impressive, right? Like if you had a, here, have a thumb, and you're like, ah, a thumb, okay, well, what do I do with a thumb? It's, it's not terribly impressive, but when you reflect and are reminded of the fact that the thumb is connected to a hand, and that the hand has four other fingers, and that together they can actually 
move and wait, we're not done. The hand is at the end of an arm, and in that arm are arteries and veins, and artery, A, away, schoolhouse rock. Arteries carry blood away from the heart to the thumbs, and veins carry blood back, and within that blood are red cells and white cells, and red cells carry oxygen, and white cells are your immune system, and they fight. now all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I'm connected to a whole network of a whole body. I'm not just, I'm just a thumb, but there's fingers, there's palms, there's arms, there's elbows, there's joints, there's, there's, there's veins, there's arteries. I'm not just a thumb. I'm a part of a body. And because I'm part of a body, I can function better. I can, I can see the value that I have in Christ because I see other people who are other members of this body. We're not in this life alone. Like I said, you can get Bible teaching online. You can listen to podcasts, you can read books, but the gathering together of the saints to be reminded you're part of a body is a necessary reminder that won't come apart from the body. I get it. If you have to be away, that's fine. Don't buy into the lie that consistent time away that you're choosing to do is not a big deal. That's all I would say. It's not a big deal. I can catch it online. You can but I think you're missing out on more than you realize. You won't experience the reminder the Bible says that you need. The ordinances of baptism and communion, they're intended to be celebrated together with other Christians. They remind us of biblical truth that are, and are supposed to be celebrated together. Jesus wasn't privately baptized. It was very public. The Lord's Supper was instituted a little more privately in the upper room, but still not in a vacuum. There's 13 people there, right? The 12 plus Jesus. And so if you're here at one of our campuses, great. Make it a regular rhythm in your life if it isn't. If you're watching online, great. But come back soon. And ensure your absence is not the norm, is not a regular rhythm. Miss the service when you're providentially hindered from, from attending. When, when God has ordained circumstances in your life that preclude you from coming to church. I, I get it, bro. Like, you're on vacation. You're sick. You couldn't make it. Whatever. It's, it's fine. But come back. Go on vacation. Come back. Be sick. Get better. And come back. Make sure that your presence is the norm and your absence is the exception. And listen, this isn't legalism. Don't give me that. Like, just stop. This is normative Christian living that we gather together and we worship together once a week. This is not legalism. This is not super conservative, old-fashioned, traditional. This is what the Bible says. We gather together, and there's an importance of gathering together. And it's not just like, I do it once a month. There's a need to be together as the body of Christ. If you're providentially hindered from doing so, I get it. God gets it. We get it. Just don't make it the norm. It shouldn't be the norm. Otherwise, you start to function just like a thumb apart from the body, and a thumb apart from the body really ain't doing much. Since growth happens best in relationships with one another, we commit to gathering in smaller numbers in community groups. Uh, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and following, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think this passage is application for our weekly corporate worship services, but I'd like to push back on that just a little because of what the writer of Hebrews is concerned about. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's amazing, particularly over the past 18 months, how many people are like, 
we need to meet together and we can't shut down church and stuff. And they're like, will you join a community group? Ah, oh, yeah, I got to go. I can't, I don't know if I want to do that. But we need the corporate gathering of the body. It's fine. But look at this room. Look at how this room is set up. You know how this room is set up? Not to encourage one another. Uh, you can see my face clearer than you can see the person sitting right in front of you. This room is set up for didactic teaching and it, quite frankly, it's set up for monologue. That means I do the talking. But there's some things that God accomplishes in this room through rows. And there's other things that he accomplishes best through circles. There's some things he accomplishes in large group settings. They're not the same things he accomplishes in smaller group settings. And so if we look at verse 24 in Hebrews 10, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That rarely happens in this room. It just rarely has. It's not because the room is bad. It's not because you're bad. It's just not, not what we're designed, not what we've designed this service to do. It rarely happens. Let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not saying you can't be stirred by the word of God, and you're not encouraged by the word of God, but there's not a lot of one anothering going on, like right now. You're all sitting and listening, which I kind of appreciate, and, and, and you're, you're hearing the word of God, but there's not a lot of one anothering. That happens in the context of a smaller group. That happens in a community group. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there's a season, right? There's a time to sit in rows and there's a time to sit in circles. The Lord uses both, but tends to use them both for very different purposes. Stirring one another, encouraging one another, that's not going to happen in this room on a weekly basis. But it can happen in a circle, a circle you're committed to going to, a circle you're committed to participating in, Committed to listening to one another and speaking to one another. So you might do what the writer of Hebrews says here. Stir one another to love and good works. Encourage one another. Now, sometimes life throws us situations that require a bit more of the word than you're going to get on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we need to be stirred in a way, encouraged in a way, admonished or comforted in a way that's not going to happen in a community group. It's not. Sometimes the circumstances we're in are the result of our own poor choices. Other times we're the unfortunate recipients of circumstances due to the choices of others. Sometimes and oftentimes it's both and. But listen to me. I'm preaching to hundreds, maybe thousands of people right now, the vast majority of which are at one of our campuses, Many more who will watch from home or listen in the car or whatever. I love you, but this isn't personal. Right? This is not. This is not personal. It's not focused. It's not concentrated. I don't have Mike on my mind as I'm preaching. I don't have Cindy, who I'm speaking to right now specifically. This is general teaching general application of the word of God. It's not concentrated. It's not focused. Sometimes you need the word to be brought to bear on an area of your life that you're just not going to get in a crowd like this. You're not going to get in a community group. You need to be like Samantha specific, Kalen specific, John and Jody specific. And the best place for you to get that is either in biblical counseling or a care group. That's why we have those at our church. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Maybe you read that and you think, no, it doesn't. 
not equipped for every good work by just reading my Bible. I read my Bible. I go to church. It doesn't speak to my struggle, my suffering, my sin. It doesn't speak to her sin. It sure doesn't speak to his sin. Great, we just finished Jonah. Last I checked, he doesn't have the prodigal daughter that I have. What next? Luke? Awesome. Did his wife leave him? Because mine's about to. Is he battling anxiety on levels that keep him awake at night? Because I do. We're going to get to that in the Gospel of Luke. Is he fearful of the days to come? Doesn't seem like it. Does he explode in anger at his family? Hate it every time, but can't seem to hate it enough beforehand. Only hates it after he did it. Yeah, I didn't think so. There's so much hope for you. There's so much help available to you. You're not getting it in the general teaching of God's word. You're not getting it at your community group. You need it to be focused on you, spoon-fed to you. Somebody needs to counsel the word to you for your specific area of life in which your struggle is. And the good news is there are people at our church who are willing to do that. Imperfect people, not sinners just like you, but they've seen God use his word to do radical things in the lives of other believers. Most times they've experienced it themselves. They've seen God's word applied specifically carefully, like a surgeon, carefully uses the scalpel, like carefully uses other tools that I don't even know about, carefully uses his time and his skill to carefully take the word, which is a double-edged sword, but carefully uses it to provide the hope and the help that you need. And that doesn't come in these general times. That comes in biblical counseling. Sometimes it comes in a group of people who are similar to you. Somebody here is about to celebrate Labor Day for the first time without a loved one. And that loved one loved the cookout. And you're still having the cookout, but he's not going to be there, and it's not going to be the same, and you're scared to death about it. Somebody here is about to celebrate Thanksgiving without their mom for the first time, and you always made that dessert that she loved. Should you even make it this year, or is that going to be too stirring, too triggering? Somebody here is about to celebrate Christmas without a child they thought they'd have but died in utero. You're not alone. Someone else is doing the same thing right now. Someone else did the same thing two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. 12 years ago. And they can say, I know that pain. I've felt that pain. God's been good to me. I want to show you. I just want to testify to the fact that God is near to the brokenhearted. Someone else who's going through and has just gone through a divorce, a terrible situation where the two have become one and have been ripped apart to two, which happens. And there's someone else who's been there and done that and can tell you, God is good. There's someone else with the, who's going through it right now along with you at the same rate who can just say, I'm in it too, man. I'm, 
I'm in it too. Yeah, we can pray for each other. And you just realize you're not alone and you're not losing your mind. That happens in a care group. That happens in a care group where people take a, a certain number of weeks and spend time together and say, let's talk about this specific struggle because it's really hard to live life without a loved one. Knowing they went on to a better place but realizing I have not. Or knowing they just went on, they're out of my life and I really miss them terribly. We have care groups designed for that to bring people together who have similar struggles and similar victories to share the hope of the word of God and say, I'm a living testimony that this happened. I'm a living testimony that God provides this. This is helpful. We can do that. And that happens in a care group. Now, some of you say, I couldn't agree more. Come with you. I, I do these things and I'm, I'm richly blessed. Life is hard, but I'm encouraged, but I'm centered on Christ. I'm not perfect, but I, I actually am growing. This is a huge encouragement to me. I'm very blessed. Maybe you sit in church every Sunday. Maybe you sit in a community group every week. Maybe you sit in a care group or sit in biblical counseling session regularly and, 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 and you're receiving the blessings that we're talking about. You are growing, but you realize I have something in common in all of these environments and that's my posture. I'm sitting. Another way of growing is cooperating with the Holy Spirit means not just consuming, but contributing to his work in the life of our church. It means you help someone else by coming alongside them. And they're a new Christian. You're maybe not as new. You don't have to be some, you don't have to have a degree, but you're just, and they're reading their Bible and you're like, I'd love to hear about what you're reading. You're in community group with someone who's a new believer. I'd love to pray with you. Love to teach you how to pray. There's no right way. I'll show you how I do it. It's kind of weird going from having never spoken to the ceiling to now speaking to the ceiling but believing that God is hearing you, which he is. But that's a weird phenomenon. And so you're like, Let me, I'll show you how I do it. Join a ministry team that contributes to the corporate worship services at your campus. Talk to David Michael and ask what it takes to lead or host a community group. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. Most people, I could never do it. I bet you can. I really think you probably can. Talk to Mark Shaw about biblical counseling. Attend our CDT in a few weeks. Talk to Dave Warrens about seeing how you can be part of what God is doing through our church in other parts of the world. What about you? How are you doing at cooperating with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit? Which of the environments that we covered should you maybe add to your walk with the Lord? Or maybe you're already there, You're already blessed to be there, but it's time to contribute while you're there. Being a contributor to what the Lord is doing in the life and ministry of our church. Because God grows us and transforms us for his glory and our good so that we might be a blessing to others because he's been so, so, so good to us in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we think through that. We don't just get saved. We're not trying to puff up those balloons that are kind of flowing. It's a Christian. It's like, I'm still happy. I really, I'm really not. That's old. But there's an ongoing life transformation that takes place in the life of a believer that we can see. I'm different. I'm helping others be different for the glory of God, for his glory, and for our good so that his kingdom might advance. God.
can use and does use people like you and me to accomplish his will in the life of his church. God, we are grateful that you, by your sovereign grace, save us. Uh, Lord, that you uh, equip us, that you grow us, and that you change us. And we pray, Lord, that we would continually look for life transformation to happen in our lives for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.